0: Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. So, I have a really interesting job. Um, I, I built software, which means that uh, I get to I get to research other people's jobs, uh, so I know them better than they do, so I can help. Jobs in a in a better way, um, and so a couple of years back, I had the opportunity to research wells and boreholes and water supplies and all sorts of wonderful things, uh, and uh, that actually got me thinking about wells in the Bible. I'd, you know, as I was thinking about it, I just yeah thought about wells in the Bible and uh, and where all of this came from. I know sometimes when somebody brings a message, you think, how on earth did they get there? This was just a word search. I looked in my Bible, uh, I have a, a, a gorgeous Thompson Chain reference, which is amazing, uh, and um, it is an actual paper Bible, and it does have a cover, and I do take it to places sometimes. <laughs> um, and uh, I searched for springs and wells, and and that, that, that was where all of this came from. I started to see a pattern coming through, and so uh, you'll see where it, where it all goes now. So we're looking at uh, wells, springs, and living water. All right, so I'm not going to explain too much about that, but this was part of the research that I had to do for my work. Um, just the first thing is at the bottom on the right-hand side there, you can see uh, what's called a water table well, and then the other two longer ones are wells that go into aquifers. And uh, the first one, the short little one there, those are normally hand-dug or they they shallower wells. They tend to be more seasonal, and they're easily contaminated. Uh, the ones that go right down into the aquifers uh, they generally have more pressure in them. You can see the one on the on the right. It uh, doesn't have pressure. You've got to fetch the water. Uh, you get, um, depending on the level of that well, you get water springing out. And so they call this a well, but actually the ones where the water springs out would be uh, a spring. All right. So those are the, that's the difference that, that I'm drawing between a spring and a well. But I'll get back to that. Um, but the ones that go really deep are less likely to get contaminated, and they are less... So more likely to be consistent. So in Bible times and and even in, in rural areas today and even in not so rural areas today, um, wells and the water that they provide are absolutely essential to life. I mean without water you can't we can't live. Um, and even in South Africa, there's areas that have been experiencing drought or even still are experiencing drought uh, and causing major, major disruption through that drought. Um, and I mean here we, we have you know, a flushing toilet, water out of a tap, but in many areas in South Africa, all over the world, uh, people have to fetch their own water uh, from varying, uh, varying distances, and so that's, uh, that experience of having to fetch your own water uh, for, uh, for cleaning, for irrigating, for washing, for cooking, for all of those things, uh, the amount of water you had depended on the supply and how much you could carry uh, and how far away you were from the supply. In biblical Palestine, there were only two rivers of any significant size. There were small streams, uh, but they were rare and usually seasonal because there's a very definite uh, rainy season. And uh, there just wasn't enough for the whole population to live near a river or one of the the springs. And so they had to uh, dig wells in order to get access to water. And so wells were so essential to life and so important at that time that if you, owned the well, if you owned the well, it was assumed that you owned the land around it. A land without water was worse than useless. Uh, you had to have water in order to, to have land, and so um, water was necessary for crops, animals, and, of course, for people. Uh, and so it really took a large amount of time and effort and energy every day to make sure that um, people had the water that they needed for existence. So this is a a basic image of people digging a well, Um, even building them. So once you had the well, you had to transport the water, but building the well was a very difficult, dangerous, mucky job. Um, And often, so what would happen, the, the, the actual space of the well would only be enough for one person, so possibly about this wide, and you would just dig, and somebody at the top would have a bucket, and they would put the bucket down, and you would fill the bucket with rocks and sand, and they would pull it up. Uh, and, then, and then let it back down again. But you can imagine people standing on the end, there's dirt falling on you the whole time. You're sitting in the dark, you can't have a candle down there because it's going to use up all your oxygen. Uh, and then the water starts seeping in. As soon as, as, as you start hitting the water table, the water starts seeping in. And basically you stop digging, because now you're scratching in the mud, uh, and it just gets sloppy all around you, and you're covered in head-to-toe and mud, little pin of light at the top, because these hand-dug wells could go as deep as 30 or 40 meters. 30 or 40 meters, and what would sometimes do, they would do is they would send stone down in the bucket, and so you would pack this, as you would dig out, you would pack the stones around you, and then dig out a bit more, kind of hold it, dig it out, pack, pack a stone in, um, and so it was, and the, you could just do it on your own. There wasn't really any help. You could have somebody, you know, with a bucket from the top, but, but that was it, and you would stop digging when the water seeping in was, was faster than you could dig out, and, and that, was, that was how they, how they built wells. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that that's definitely a really tough job uh, and so it was dirty, difficult, and dangerous uh It was arduous but absolutely essential and you can see why people uh protected their wells. Um, you really had to uh protect your well it was It was a really important thing to make sure uh, i'm not sure how clear that is on the image yes that you can see down into down into a well it's dark down there <laughs> and not just digging the wells uh was dangerous they were vulnerable. A well was a, a vulnerable, a vulnerable thing, um, and because water was so unpredictably finite, uh, it would be difficult to be generous with your well water. Because if it's a seasonal well, you know, okay, the, you know, it gets a bit thin on some seasons, or or whatever the case would be. It's it's really difficult to be generous with that because you've got your animals to to give water, you've got your family to give water to. That's to to give that water away was a very difficult thing. You would have to really uh really want to honor someone and give them a huge gift and and have 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 abundance uh to be able to give it give it away they were also vulnerable to collapsing uh they were vulnerable to contamination uh if an animal fell in and died well no <laughs> uh, so they were they were also uh if if an enemy wanted to wanted to uh besiege you what they could do was they could um fill up your wells and then you were stuck. You were stuck with no water, and then and then you were you were an easy target. And so, what people would even do as a kind of warfare was they would fill up each other's wells. Uh, and so, it really was a, a very vulnerable uh, point, but something quite essential. Um, and so, many of the established cities and settlements, like Jerusalem, what they would do was they had cisterns in which they would store water that they gathered during the rainy season. And even under the temple in Jerusalem, there were these huge cisterns. And you might, have, might remember hearing in the Bible about um, building cisterns and broken cisterns and that kind of thing, what they were talking about there. Not a toilet cistern, because that's what we, what we uh, in our mindset, when I first heard cisterns, I thought, are they talking about toilets? No, they were talking about water storage areas, which is what it is in our modern-day WC kind of toilets. Uh, but in terms of a, a, a city population scale, they had these systems as well, and so they would they would keep that water. Uh, and you can imagine that by the time uh, that water got to the end of it, it didn't taste very good. And so some of the, the obvious applications that we can that we can get from this idea about wells is to make sure that you dig your spiritual wells deep, because the deeper the purer. Like I said, if you get right down into the into the water table, as difficult as it is, because you normally got to get through rock. Um, the more, the, the, the purer, the more plentiful the water is. Uh, remember that you have to guard and defend your wells against contamination. There's so many things that would seek to contaminate your wells. And make sure that your systems and water storage is well maintained so that when barren times come or enemies try to besiege you, you will still have a safe supply. But that's all rubbish. Or <laughs> well, at least to my mind. Um, (laughs) um, I think it would be doing you a disservice if I were to use that application of of what I've said today. Uh, Because from what I studied, from what I could see in scripture, it seems that wells are an Old Testament thing. Not just that they didn't need them in the Old Testament, but the whole philosophical concept of a well is an Old Testament thing. There's only one well mentioned in the New Testament. And that's in John 4 with uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm gonna talk about that a lot more. Um, but I think where wells represent an old covenant mindset, springs represent a new covenant mindset. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that. What I'm also going to say is that uh, if you hear people talking about wells in the spiritual sense, they generally probably mean springs. So don't kind of start judging anybody who talks about wells or sings about wells or anything like that. Uh, but you can read it as springs in your mind when you see what's, what's happening there. So, <laughs> yeah, I just well with muscle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so wells represent human cleverness and the effort that it takes to access that, that thing. That's, that's really what a well is. It requires human cleverness. It requires human effort. It's that difficult, arduous, mucky, dangerous thing that you've got to do, that you have to protect, that you have to defend that you have to uh, encamp around, whereas a spring represents God's provision. The effort is not in accessing it, but in channeling it. It's just, it just keeps coming. And they, I, was, I was reading up about some springs, and the amount of water that some springs are bubbling up every single second, like thousands of cubic meters in a minute or something mad like that. They were really insane. I can't even remember. It was just mad. Um, that is the kind of provision that we're talking about when it comes to springs. It's not this tiny little bit of dirty water that we've got to eke out of the dust. That is not the God that we serve. Our God is a God of abundance who takes rock and springs water out of a rock. This is the God that we serve. Woo! (laughs) So even the spring... Uh, the word "spring" in Hebrew is "in," is so this is uh, this is actually a picture of engedi, uh which is in uh, in Israel, and it's, it is a, a spring there. Uh, and uh, the word "well" in uh, Hebrew is "be'er," nothing to do with the fermented alcoholic kind. <laughs> um, so if you hear about like Beersheba um, and some of the other places, it refers to a place around a well. Engedi is the spring of and uh, the word "in actually means "I, which I thought was so fascinating, whereas the word beer means boring down, so it literally means to to dig to to bore down into into the ground and and the, the word there means that you're moving towards the water That's that's the movement of the wa- of the word, whereas uh, the spring is the water moving towards us, and that's just what jesus does that's what he does we're not, we're not having to find him. He finds us. We're not having to uh, pursue him, but we do, but he pursues us first. And, and so the spring represents salvation provided, whereas to me the well represents salvation by our, by our, own, our own efforts. And so we no longer are trying to access God's provision of salvation through those efforts, but through the incarnation, Jesus comes towards us bringing that living water. So this image is uh from a, a series uh that you can access on YouTube. You can also get the app, it's called The Chosen. Uh it's really has anybody seen watch the chosen? Woo! Yay, I see some hands there. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So I, I got this still from the uh from the, the series. And yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm not gonna go into a whole lot of reasons why. Uh, but Speaking about Jesus, that if we get salvation through Jesus, I'd like to propose that it's not just me who thinks that uh, wells represent uh, the old covenant, uh, because when I read about Jesus and the Samaritan woman in, in uh, John chapter four, I have a feeling that Jesus felt the same way. Uh, and so, I love the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It's one of my absolute most favourite uh, stories in the gospel. I could, I could preach another three preachers, Steve, just so you know, um, about story of John Four. <laughs> uh it really is it's so every time I read it, something else comes out of it. I I I could I just want to dig deeper. <laughs> no, sorry. <That> <laughs> anyway. Uh bum bum bum. <laughs> uh anyway, so <laughs> um and so let's get started on the story of the woman at the well. So it says he had to pass through Samaria. I love it. The first line, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to meet this lady. Um, and uh, so he came to the town of uh, town of Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. So remember there's um, Abraham, and then one of his sons Isaac, and then one of his sons Jacob. And Jacob had given, the field to, given it to his son uh, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is the only time we see a well mentioned in the New Testament, so in this, in this account, which I think is, is, uh, is significant. And it was about the sixth hour. So that ref- means the sixth hour after sunrise, so it was about midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Let's talk about water. Sorry. <laughs> the Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." <clears throat> and I'm sure you've heard the story of the good Samaritan and how it was so strange that the Samaritan was good to the people of the time and. Uh, the story of the Samaritan woman, and think, why, why all this fuss about Samaritans? So, a quick history lesson. There was Saul, and then David uh, became king after Saul, and then uh, Solomon became king after David. Uh, and when Saul was crowned the first king of Israel, he ruled over all 12 tri- tribes, so you might remember the 12 tribes of Israel, as did Sol- David and as did Solomon. However, after Solomon died, there was a split. There was the 10 northern tribes and then the two southern tribes, And what happened was the 10 northern tribes uh, adopted um, uh, Samaria as their capital city. And then the two southern tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, they um, formed the kingdom of Judah with the capital at Jerusalem. And so what happened was the 10 northern tribes, 10 out of 12, uh, they stopped coming to Jerusalem to uh, worship. um, And uh, Jeroboam, the king at that time, he changed the worship. Um, of those Israelites, and they uh, created their own idols, uh, and they, they set up idols there, and that they were destroyed by the Assyrians, and uh, the Assyrians um, uh, intermarried, the Assyrians and the, those ten tribes intermarried, uh, and they were all, all collectively referred to as the Samaritans. And so the southern, the southern kingdom, the southern tribes, saw them as total sellouts, times two, because they were idolaters and intermarriers, and, uh, and so they really uh, kind of, I think when somebody represents your own weakness, you tend to hate them more. And I think maybe that was part of the, the enmity between them, that uh, they, they represented the worst thing that they felt they could possibly become. So anyway, and so Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so we have this idea of what living water means, but I, I love this interplay between them. That it's, it feels quite humorous to me when I read it. I read it in kind of a, a humorous way. Uh, and so, But that word living water, to us, I was, I'm sure it has a meaning, but the meaning that it had at that time was very specific. Uh, and at, at least it meant flowing water, fresh and cool, not water that had been still in the bottom of a well Uh, still or stored water. Uh, It was flowing water, fresh water. the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? (laughs) Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And so the reason that she's saying this, you've got nothing to draw with, she, she would have had something to draw with, but the enmity between them was so bad that they couldn't even use the same cup She talks about this well, how it was provided by Jacob, um, and Jesus dismisses it as inferior to the one that he provides. Because he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So even Jesus right here, he's saying that well, is inferior to the spring that I am giving. Them. Right there, and 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 when she says, "Are you superior to Jacob?" she's she's actually referring to the Old Testament. So remember when I when I spoke last, I said Jesus comes and he supersedes. He himself declares how he supersedes aspects of the Old Testament, um, fulfills them, but supersedes them as well. He, it's not an addition to or a supplement to. When he comes and he says, you had that, but now it's this. It was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, whenever he he has one of those, that's what he's doing here. He's saying that thing that Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and, and that old way of living represents, I'm giving you something new here. And he's offering an alternative, and that's himself. How amazing is that? He's offering himself as an alternative. Old covenant law is never enough to provide for eternal life. Every year, a new sacrifice must be made. Every new, new, Every day, a new supply must be drawn. It's the same with the well. You've got to get a new supply every day. Every year, you've got to have, have your, your sacrifices again. Um, with Jesus, the promise is that the law will be written on our hearts and that we will have a source of living water within a spring, a constant flow, a constant flow not a well that we have to, by our own strength and efforts and the muscles in our own arms that we have to draw, draw from so this lady has a sense of humor. Uh, she knows he's speaking figuratively, but takes him literally. I really can't wait to meet her one day. <laughs> I think we'll get along. Um, <laughs> and so she says to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to drink, to draw water. And uh, Jesus, in true fashion, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't answer her directly, but answers her question the quest behind the question. He addresses the source of her shame. And he says to her, go call your husband and come here. And I know people often say, you know, it says she's had five husbands, and the one that she's, I'm not going to read through that. Uh, but just a little side note, people of that time and age and place, a woman could not get a divorce. So, so for her to have five husbands, if she had committed adultery, she would have been dead by then, because that was the law. Uh, she, would, she would not have been married again. If that, was, if that was the case. The, one of the main reasons that, that a man could ask for a divorce, though, was if a woman was barren. And I think that puts a whole different twist on this story, that actually that her shame is in her barrenness, not in, in anything else. Uh, and so that's just something to think about as a possible other reading of the scripture. But to get back to the point... Please don't get distracted by that now. You can think about it later in the bath. (laughs) Um, The woman answered him, I have no husband. I said I wasn't going to read it, but I am reading it. Uh, Jesus said to her, you are right, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. (laughs) Um, Smart lady. She changes the topic and compliments him. (laughs) I can see you're a smart guy. uh, And carries on. And then she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, you, the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people should worship. And Jesus said to a woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And I just love how Jesus does that. People say, well, if it's not this, then it must be that. And Jesus says, neither of those. It's something absolutely brand new. And uh, he, again, he offers an alternative source of life not based on the system of temple sacrifices. And it's not an alternative system of temple sacrifices. Um, basically, he's telling, telling her that uh, neither of your religious systems will work. <laughs> it's not going to be about a religious system. And he says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Where he's saying it's actually about the heart. It's not about where and how and all of the the big, I think the fancy word is accoutrements. All the things that go with it. It's not about those things. It's about the spirit. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things because now he's he's telling her something quite confusing, and she's saying, which people often say today, one day we'll know, one day we'll know. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What I love about this moment, this is the first time that he openly reveals himself as the Messiah. There was the time in the temple where he said uh, about, the spirit of the Lord is on me, and, and was a bit sideways enough that he wouldn't be, Crucified right there and then. This is the first time, one-to-one, where he says, I am he, I am the Messiah, to a woman and to a Samaritan. How crazy is that? (laughs) Just then, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman and a Samaritan. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And this is the moment from, from uh, The Chosen where she's just before she runs off, she realizes who, that, who this man actually is. And I love this. She left her water jar behind. She knew. She had the living water. She knew the source of the living water. She didn't need her water jar anymore. It's as if that revelation happened and she she didn't have to to carry it. She knew that she would have access to those springs of, of living water. So there's many places in the Old Testament where springs are foretold. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. All my springs of joy are in you. He will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. He who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. All of the prophets we see, the springs are coming. The springs are coming. Page two. (laughs) Isaiah, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Jeremiah, they have built for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. It will be in summer as well as winter, not only in the rainy season, but at all times. And Ezekiel 47, it's quite a long one where it talks about water flowing from the temple. And in Joel, in that day, a spring will go out from the house of the Lord. So those ones from Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Ezekiel are quite interesting, considering that underneath the temple there were massive cisterns designed to store water. And so the water became quite brackish and nearly undrinkable towards the end of summer as it was still and not flowing. It was not living water. So living water flowing out of the temple would have been a miraculous thing. They all knew that there was still water under there, but living water flowing out of there would have been an absolutely, absolutely miraculous thing. And I think seeing all of these scriptures throughout, uh, throughout the Old Testament or throughout the prophets particularly, it just is again why we need to see the whole Bible Where do we get this understanding of springs and wells from the whole Bible? And so read your Bibles, folks, all of it. And then John comes and he says, ah, sorry, I didn't let you read the other ones, but there they are. John says, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I mean, not John. John writes uh, about Jesus. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. And he said this about the Spirit. So it's not just talking about he actually... He clarifies it here in case you didn't get the metaphor the first, the second, third, fourth, fifth or sixth time. He was talking about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because it was given to that extent at uh, at Pentecost. And in Revelation, more springs, more springs, but there it's the present tense. Now the springs are here. Now we have that water. And I think that story of John is quite pivotal this is, the, this is the moment where he switches. He says, it was wells, it's now springs. What you've seen in the past, now is the present. What you've, what you've foretold in the past is now the present. The living water, living water himself is here. And so what does living water look like? What does it really look like in our lives? And I think when we have a well mindset, we live differently to when we have a spring mindset. When you, can, you can see someone is accessing living water when they bring life to situations rather than drawing life out of them. You can see when someone is accessing that living water when they bring life to situations rather than drawing life out of them. Because they have an infinite source. They can come with water. They're not trying to get their life and their affirmation and their, their joy and their, their everything from the things around them. It springs up from out of them, and they can bring that into situations. They bring God's presence, they bring the, the 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 wetness of His glory into situations, rather than looking for it, seeing people, what can I get from this, seeing situations, what can I get from this. It's it's it just flows out of them. <clears throat> it's difficult to be generous with well water. You have to get it up out of the well. You have to transport it. The amount that you can draw depends on your own muscles, your own how much energy you've got. Um, if I get my primary sense of value and affirmation from things and people other than Jesus, I can easily fall into the trap of getting life from them too. But when I'm drawing my life from Jesus, when I allow those streams of living water to flow, then I can bring life into situations and relationships. And that living water is is obviously the power of the Holy Spirit. When I'm living in the place of living water, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit's power to flow through me, to energize everything that I do, not relying on my own strength, my own wells, my broken systems, systems systems, to systems and systems, (laughs) but to accept his moment by moment life-giving flow through my life and the lives of others. When I'm not accessing that power, I'm accessing my finite resources, and that makes it very difficult to be radically generous. So let's live lives of living water where it flows through us, where it's not our own effort, but the incredible provision of our glorious God. Amen.